Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening, and welcome back to an adventure in history. I'm Alana Quiela with Providence Seaside Hospital here tonight with Mac Burns, Executive Director, Clatsop County Historical Society. It's been quite a week. It has I been mean, quite it's a week. November. It's not, how did like that we're happen? into November, and we're election time. Uh, yeah. Uh, have you voted, folks? I, I, I have voted. Have you? I voted the day I got the ballot in the mail. <laughs> Did you really? And then it was in the drop box by the county the next day. I drove with my daughter and her friend and, and Kaya too. Interesting. Yep. And said so they this, saw you vote? They saw me vote. I, I, I showed Carly who I was voting for, mm-hmm. talked about it, because lots of women are on our ballot too, yeah, she, which she I like. Told, she told me who you voted for. Did she? <laughs> you know, she went campaigning with um, oh my. the mayor's wife of Warrington to talk about the library in Warrington. Oh, nice. Yeah. She was in our neighborhood, okay. and then Carly's like, well, I like the library. <laughs> And then she followed her. Yeah, she did. That's and excellent. Carly or uh, Kelsey's like, so Carly, what do you do at the library? Because there are lots of great programs. And okay, that, obviously, you know how I voted now, folks. That's that's almost unfair. I know. <laughs> kid, you should vote for the library because I, know, I so, want it. <laughs> it's so sweet. And yeah. See, and, and I'm not getting into a political thing here. I'd never had mail-in voting until moving to Oregon. Sure. And I was caught off guard by it. My f- initial reaction was, you know, how can this be? And... I am still. I still like the idea of going and voting, but I know that I'm in a position that I can take an hour off from work mm-hmm. and go. And, right. And I, but I always just because growing up, I would go with my parents, and you go to the elementary school gymnasium and mm-hmm. go in and, and pull the curtains shut and flip little switches, and I just I love that process. Yes. But I get that I am in a a position that I can do that easily, and not mm-hmm. everybody can. So I would advocate for a a national holiday, or maybe even two days, right. so you get a choice which day, but. The thing that I loved, like my third or fourth year voting here, I actually got called by the county clerk's office with, would you verify this is your signature? Oh. Because it didn't look like my signature. Interesting. And I had to go, I was like, really? Because I just make a squiggly line, kind of. Yeah. How could you even tell? This squiggly line is different from the one I signed originally. So you had but, to verify But it. I had to go in and right. verify at that point. Good. And I was always surprised by that. And I thought, Wow. You know, what what handwriting expert do they have in the county clerk's office? It's called a computer. <laughs> I'm sure. I bet the computers spit it out, Probably. right? Probably. You know? And then a real person had to verify. I do think that that is a good mix, right, of yeah. technology. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, that's, that's I did good. not vote the day I got it or the day after. I, I took a week, but then I voted. Yeah. Neither so. did Mark. But you know what? My campaign mm-hmm. mail, to me, ended the next within the next two days because your your oh. name goes on a roll that you did vote. So if I, you if you next time, folks, if you want those mailers to stop, vote, and it does it does at least for that, the bigger campaigns because they don't want to waste the money. I didn't even think about that, and they are wasting it with me. It goes right in the garbage. I don't right. even read it. Right, a lot of I mean, I'm sure some people are influenced, but there interesting. You go. And I was I voted in Florida, so mm. um, not this year. Not this year. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and you do you know it. There, it is chaotic. It's mm-hmm. it's chaos. Um, and, and you do feel bad for the folks that have to, you know, plan around taking some time off. And in Florida yes. now, they do allow, I think it's, it's either seven days or 14 days. You can mm-hmm. vote earlier 
but you still have to go in. So yeah. there's still that barrier. You have to have a vehicle or transportation, yeah. um, but they don't have to vote on the day of um, mm. anymore, at least, at yeah. least in Florida. That's just, no. I mean, not every state's like that yet. Every state's different. It's I've voted in, kind of in five different states now, and every every experience was different yeah. <laughs> in my life. Not the same year. You talk about, though, barriers. Yeah. I mean, Oregon has figured something out. So we uh, we had talking tombstones. Yes, last, in the rain. Time. It was it was not the rainiest because the rain oh, kind of stopped by about eleven thirty, and the event starts at one, and then it kind of it was not a mist. It was it was a rain by about two thirty, but it was windy. It oh. was it was the very definition of blustery. This is perfect, right? No, no, oh, it, was, it, it was terrible. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was not our least attended ever, but it was <laughs> it was not far above that. I mean, because you think about talking so, tombstones, though. So the, I mean, the that... seven actors that oh. we had, they were champions, and I'm sure they all got pneumonia for standing out. A couple, like David Reed, got lucky; he was like under a tree. But there were some that were just out in the middle of nothing with no coverage. Oh man! Um, they all were were rock stars, though. They all did an amazing job. This was a really good year. So I'm disappointed that, but we still had 275 people. Oh, that go out in the oh rain, in the rain, in a blustery wind. We usually we get 500. You're talking, but but they're there on a apple. Sunday, a cold, wintry, <laughs> blustery, fall, stormy. Yeah, 275 people yeah. are still championing. So that just is amazing to me. Um, what a great but, event! But it was a great event, and they all tied into the fire. Right, the 1922 right. fire. It was kind of we'd use it as like an advertisement for the exhibit at the Heritage Museum. But it was a really good year. But two things, two things jump out that I just wanted to share. Yeah. Now, years ago, I had I had toured the Steadfast. And the captain gave me a ball cap mm-hmm. that says Steadfast, Coast Guard, like all the information. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think about it. I'm wearing that hat. And a guy makes a point of coming back as he's about to head out to, to meet all the ghosts. I'm the first person they see. And I chat and, and I beg for donations and give out candy and give out <laughs> a little pay, play bill that lists the actors and the characters. But the guy stops after getting some candy, making a donation. He's, he comes back and he says, and thank you for your service. Oh. And I didn't even make the connection. I'm wearing a steadfast hat. You're thinking historical service. I'm thinking like he's, you know, and I'm kind of like, well, I'm an employee. It's kind of my job to be out here in the rain. You know, the other people are the volunteers. But I just go, oh, well, thanks. And as he's walking away, I realize, oh, wait, I'm wearing a steadfast hat. <laughs> And then I have this guilt, like, am I allowed to wear this hat? The captain gave it to me. He must have thought I would wear it. Right. So I feel badly if I somehow misled the public. <laughs> I've never been in the Coast Guard. So, But the other cool thing, and this is this is mostly for you, and, and she's probably listening, and I apologize, I did not get your name, but a loyal listener was in line, and just as she was about to head out, she goes, oh, my God, you're Mac Burns on the radio. Can I get a selfie with you? Oh, I love and it. To prove either to her husband or to some coworkers that, that she met me. Or that you exist. That I exist, yeah. yeah. And I and I kind of thought, <laughs> oh, this could just be a picture of any guy. You know, how do people know it's Mac Burns? And then it dawned on me that we have frequently put out the photo of the two of us yes. on Facebook and other places. I love so, it. So, so if you're listening, tag us in your next one. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. So to the husband or the coworkers, and I can't remember which one it was. Uh, yes, she did take a selfie with me. <laughs> and you <laughs> are the Mac Burns. <laughs> and I'm probably wearing a steadfast hat. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we have loyal listeners. Good. We, Of course we do. <laughs> All over the world. But they, they, she has to come and get a selfie with you at some point. I know. So, I love And I kind of laughed. I was like, you know, you can pretty much stop by the Flavelle house anytime and you're likely to find me. <laughs> I'm so, not that hard to find. So you can get selfies with Mac anytime, folks. That's what he's saying. But, but where can they get selfies with you? <laughs> 
Oh, well, there's yeah, no, on the playground, I was say, carpool you, pickup. You don't have like a set schedule. Like I'm always oh, dropping goodness. off Carly at this time or something no. like that. So, no. And we, don't, we don't want to encourage <laughs> that anyway. But. All right. And then, uh, oh, Iron Chef. Yes, to, on Tuesday. Tuesday. So this, I, I believe tickets are still available. You can go online, clatsupunitedway.org. Iron Chef goes coastal. United Way of Clatsup County is putting this on. It's back in person. Uh, so we're excited. Providence Seaside is a sponsor. Um, this is an amazing organization. And it's a really fun event. It is um, a good event. There is a show. So there's an actual Iron Chef show program competition. But in addition to that, there's about a dozen or a little bit more than that restaurants that are giving out small bites. Mm-hmm. And it's small bites, but you get an entire meal. You make, you make a meal out of this. And you get to taste all of these different foods from these different restaurants. So it's at the convention center. Or Tuesday, um, I would suggest just buying your ticket online because then it's done with. So clatsupunitedway.org um, and go to this event because it's fun. And it, it's, it opens at 6 o'clock. The doors open. Um, Silver Salmon, McMinimins, Astoria Brewing, Sea Crab, Nyblack, Newman's, Shelburne, and more. Even more. Even more. Even more. But I do recommend one year I got there really late. Oh. And I only got like two or three samples. Oh, well, yeah, don't get there late. And it was my fault. I wasn't, like, angry or anything. Right. But I was like, oh, I should have gotten here earlier. But the desserts were all still available. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you can still make a meal, even if you just, like, get two or three and then the desserts. Oh, for sure. So, my yes. gosh. Yeah. Okay. It's fun. All right. Shall we get right to it? Let's do it. we're, like, a third of the way through here. So, these are things that happen tomorrow. Okay. Uh, November 7th, 1800. It becomes illegal for women in Paris to wear trousers without a police permit. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You chuckle, what, what are, what and I the, shake I, my I'm head. I'm just amazed that people actually think about these things. How yeah. dare women wear wear trousers in public? So, and how? I mean, it couldn't have been many at that time. Eighteen hundred, right. exactly. So, so I have to ask, where are your? Do you have your permit for your for right your pants? for my trousers? For your trousers. <laughs> <laughs> See, and do women even have trousers? I think they have pants. Pants, right? Because I, I mean, work th- pants. Kind I don't of think I have like any pants. trousers. I have <laughs> pants. Yes. <laughs> All right, uh, 1805, Lewis and Clark Expedition first sights the Pacific Ocean at the mouth of the Columbia River. Oh. And a teaser next week. We yes. might have somebody that knows a lot about Lewis and Clark. Somebody that's very inspiring. Yes. All right, uh, 1974, the first cartoon depicting the elephant as Republican Party symbol is out. Oh. And it's a cartoon by Thomas Nast. I didn't know that. 1974, that seems late to me. It does, interesting. Oh, actually, that's a typo. 1874. I'm sorry. Oh. 1874. Well, that's, that, that's, that's, that's more about like right. it. That's yeah. about right. Uh, so, yeah, 1874 is when uh, the elephant becomes the Republican Party. 1914, the first issue of the New Republic is published. Okay. 1916, Jeanette Rankin becomes the first U.S. Congresswoman. Like She's a Montana one. suffragist. I liked that one. And I bet she didn't have to have a permit to wear pants. Right. And Montana. I was Montana. proud of them. It's always the Wild West that uh, things like that. And she know, was a Republican, yes. too. Also kind of surprising. See, you're wearing just your, your modern view of the Republican Party. I know. I know. So, right. uh, 1931, Chinese People's Republic is proclaimed by, by Mao Zedong. Mm-hmm. Um, that was almost going to be my history highlight because it's a big impact. Big. 1932, the first broadcast of Buck Rogers in the 25th century on CBS radio. Oh, nice. Uh, 1940, not that was radio, so it wasn't like the 1980s version. (laughs) Uh, 1940, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge collapses. Oh, yes. And that's always like, isn't there always like footage of that? Yes, always. Uh, 1944, FDR wins an unprecedented fourth term. Oh. You just won't leave. He won't go. (laughs) 
1966, John Lennon meets Yoko Ono at an art exposition in London. Ooh. Wonder how that turned out. Yeah. For the Beatles. And they knew right away. Did she break up the Beatles? Not at all. See, I don't think so either. Again, you can't blame the women. 1980, all the, time. the King of Cool, Steve McQueen, dies. Oh, yeah. He was cool. Uh, but our history highlight of the day, the thing I think had the most impact, 1917. Ooh. The October Revolution, even though we're in November. October Revolution in Russia, Lenin and the Bolsheviks seize power, capture the Winter Palace, and overthrow the provisional government. Yeah. So more than Mao Zedong in China. Right. <laughs> you got to go earlier in 1917, I think, the Russian Revolution. More yeah. impact. So those, those darn Bolsheviks. Just a couple. 1989, Douglas Wilder wins Virginia's governor's election, becoming the first elected African-American governor in the United States. Yay. 1989. Um, however, during Reconstruction, Mississippi did have an acting governor, and Louisiana had an appointed governor Who's who the were first black. elected. Yes. 1989. 1993, Hillary Rodham Clinton becomes the first first lady elected <laughs> to public office in the United States when she wins a U.S. Senate seat. From New York. Yeah. I like that. she that. hadn't lived in, but right. she moved there. <laughs> <laughs> she paid taxes there. Yeah. I think that probably mattered the most. <laughs> so since we're in the political uh, political yes. world right now, we thought this would be fun. Perfect since timing. This is, even though it's not a presidential election, we thought we'd look at uh, the political slogans for each winning president. Now, we're not going to hit them all. We don't have time for that. But we'll start with 1840, William Henry Harrison. And this one's kind of famous. I think a lot of... People that have some passing knowledge of history have heard this phrase, but they may not know what it means. So, 1840, William Henry Harrison, Tippecanoe and Tyler II, uh, designed to leverage William Henry Harrison's perceived heroism against Native Americans at the Battle of Tippecanoe in 1811. The presidential slogan was the rallying cry of the Whig Party during the 1840 election. The phrase was effective, convincing people that Harrison was the savior the country needed, just as he had been on the battlefield nearly 30 years earlier. John Tyler, the vice presidential candidate, was a senator from Virginia and was chosen to secure votes in southern states. On the whole, the slogan distracted the public from any political issues, including <laughs> Harrison's age. Can you believe this? He was 67. Oh, my goodness. Um, how old is that when he ran for president? I don't know if he was the oldest at the time. I think he might have been. I mean, it was 1840. Yeah. So. <laughs> and uh, it was sung while handing out hard cider to supporters. So that could have helped, too. Uh, but in 1844, James K. Polk, 54, 40, or fight. In 1818, the U.S. and Britain had agreed to jointly occupy the Oregon country. But by mid-century, manifest destiny was the topic of congressional and public debate. Presidential candidates also weighed in on territorial matters with pithy slogans. <laughs> James K. Polk used 54-40 or fight to reference the latitudinal line at 54 degrees, 40-40, the northern border of the Oregon country. Polk pledged to end the agreement in Britain and to take the land for the United States by force if necessary. While historically defining his presidential campaign, the slogan itself actually became popular two years later as President Polk attempted tempted to bring his plan to fruition. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's right here. Uh, 1848, Zachary Taylor, for president of the people. 
<laughs> that one's so lame. Uh, as a war hero, Zachary Taylor held distinction in the mid-19th century. His appeal to the masses, however, was in question, as were his political affiliations. The presidential candidate emphasized his civilian, nonpartisan qualities, assuring voters he was a defender of the nation, not tied to any specific party platform. Banners that featured the slogan featured Taylor in a suit instead of military garb, with an additional statement that read, about party creeds, let party zealots fight. He can't be wrong whose life is in the right. Ooh, that's a good one. That is a good one. 1852, Franklin Pierce. <laughs> we poked you in 44, we shall pierce you in 52. <laughs> As a Democratic candidate, Franklin Pierce wanted to remind voters how fellow underdog James K. Polk had managed to upset his opponent, Senator Henry Clay, in 1844. Pierce was a relative unknown, but used appropriately confrontational language to appeal to voters, especially veterans of the Mexican-American War. Pierce fought in the war, having received commission by President Polk himself. Okay, doesn't we poked you in 44, we shall pierce you in 52 sound like somebody that would have been really good on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram today? Yes. Social media. (laughs) All right, uh, 1856, James Buchanan. His, his, uh, his like winning phrase is, anybody but Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Anybody but Hindsight. Pierce. Not at all subtle, candidate James Buchanan ran on the unpopularity of incumbent Franklin Pierce. Buchanan's slogan was in place even before he received the nomination, however, <laughs> with the Democratic Party and much of the electorate turning on Pierce due to his failed domestic, domestic and foreign policies. Well, anybody was, but Pierce. It was in place because... Anyone could have it. Whoever wins the Democratic nomination (laughs) is going to be the guy. 1860, Abe Lincoln, vote yourself a farm. Candidate Abraham Lincoln played on the Republican promise to provide homesteads to settlers in the expanding United States. Vote yourself a farm was a popular phrase as early as 1846 used by the prominent editor George H. Evans. For Evans, and later the Republicans, voting oneself a farm offered a chance to end poverty, misery, and oppression. The slogan, which worked well in conjunction with Lincoln's homegrown values, also took the spotlight off of the prevailing issue of the time, Slavery. Okay, so let's put these in modern. We should have started this from the beginning, but vote yourself a farm. That's not going to work today. I don't want a farm. <laughs> Farming's hard work. Yes. So, so Abe doesn't get my vote on that one. No. He needs to speak something else to me. So maybe this would have helped, though. 1864, right in the middle of the Civil War, Abe Lincoln's uh, line was, don't swap horses midstream. I like that. By using the proverbial phrase in a speech in 1864, Lincoln seemed to acknowledge that Republicans may not find him to be the greatest or best man in America, but rather have concluded it is not best to swap horses while crossing the river. And that was all a quotation. (laughs) As the Civil War raged, President Lincoln wanted to remind his colleagues and his voting base to remain steadfast in their efforts and in his leadership. I like that. That's a good one. That is a good one. Uh, 1868, Ulysses S. Grant, let us have peace. Civil War general and hero Ulysses S. Grant ran on a platform of reconciliation and recovery. His slogan promised peace to the deeply divided nation, a peace that would ideally lead to economic prosperity, social harmony, and political cooperation. And, and who can argue with Pete? I, I was going to say all of those things, you know, could we could it's, use that today too. It, it's always like when when the Simpsons or other cartoons mock political, but the candidates just go, "I'm for kids, I'm for education, I'm yep. for jobs." Yes, and believe. the rest of us are not. Yeah. Um, 1884. Speaking of somebody horrible, Grover Cleveland. His was Blaine Blaine James G Blaine, continental liar from the state of Maine. Ugh. 
And speaking of liars, Cleveland, in what was a campaign full of personal attacks, Democratic candidate Grover Cleveland faced off against Republican Speaker of the House, James Blaine. While Blaine hurled insults at Cleveland based on stories about his personal life, and oh, there were stories, the governor of New York was accused of fathering an illegitimate child, among other things. Cleveland played up charges against Blaine for taking bribes. And that was basically his whole campaign was, okay, I've been a good public servant. Everybody thinks I've been a good governor. Yes, I'm a horrible person, and I've had a horrible personal life. But Blaine has had a horrible public life, and which is better? Oh, my gosh. And that was his argument. I mean, he was he was flat out open about, I'm a horrible, my personal life has been horrible. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, and, they've, and they elected him. <laughs> 1888, Benjamin Harrison, Tippecanoe and Morton, too, <laughs> with a slogan that played on the one used by his grandfather, William Henry Harrison, Benjamin Harrison, and his running mate, Levi Morton, tried to invoke the memory of his heroic folksy predecessor. Unlike the elder Harrison, Benjamin Harrison was considered somewhat cold in demeanor, and the opposition used the notion of Tippecanoe in their own slogans as well. They insisted, quote, his grandfather's hat, it's too big for Ben, end quote. <laughs> Benjamin Harrison lost the popular election to sitting president Grover Cleveland, but won the electoral college. Mm. Never to have happened again. Never again. Uh, 1900, William McKinley Four more years of the full dinner pale. When <laughs> President William, William McKinley ran against William Jennings Bryan for a second term in 1900, the Republican candidate emphasized the economic recovery that had characterized his first term. As a populist, McKinley's opponent, Bryan, had widespread support among blue-collar voters, a constituency the incumbent president needed to sway. McKinley's slogan essentially made a promise of continued stability, strongly gearing the message to laborers throughout the United States. I like the idea of a dinner pail. Sure. <laughs> uh, 1904, Theodore Roosevelt. A square deal for every man. Roosevelt's, but not women, just right. men. I mean, let's be honest, it's 1904. Uh, Roosevelt, who had been William McKinley's vice president, used the term square deal for his domestic program. While not an original turn of phrase, Theodore Roosevelt articulated a three-part social, legislative, and industrial agenda, all designed to help support an increasingly stratified country. Conservation, control of corporations, and consumer protections offered fair play for the working man and a square deal to every American whether employer or employee. Now, how can you argue with that? Unless you're a woman. Unless you're a woman. Right. See, if it was a square deal for every person. Right. Then, then you can't, you can't, there's nothing there. You can't argue it. Right. But women aren't <laughs> voting yet. Anyways. That's right. 1912, Woodrow Wilson, The New Freedom. Woodrow Wilson was an advocate for change, articulating an extensive reform agenda called the New Freedom in 1912. Wilson took aim at big business and promised to work on behalf of the individual. Wilson wanted to use the power of the federal government to bring down the triple wall of privilege, reducing tariffs, instituting banking regulations, and providing protections against trusts. Um, 1916, Woodrow Wilson again. He kept us out of war. Officially neutral in the world in World War One, President Woodrow Wilson used this peacekeeping pass to run for a second term in office. Wilson had kept the United States out of fighting in Europe, a fact his harshest critics of his military policies, especially opponent Supreme Court Justice Charles Evan Hughes, couldn't deny. It was only a few months after winning the election, however, that the U.S. entered the conflict. <laughs> he kept us out of war for now, but he's right, not yeah. going to keep us out. <laughs> Little asterisk. Yeah. War, uh, 1920, Warren G. Harding, return to normalcy. 
In the aftermath of World War I and the flu pandemic of 1918 and 1919, presidential candidate Warren Harding promised to restore the United States to normalcy. Inventing a word in the process. <laughs> I like that. The uh, concept of normalcy appealed to the masses, however, as the devastation of the previous decade cast a long shadow. Americans were eager to take an insular focus and return to a time of peace and prosperity, all parts of uh, Harding's message. America's present need is not heroics, but healing. Not nostrums, but normalcy. Not revolution, but restoration. Not surgery, but serenity. That's nice. <laughs> uh, I like the creating the word, though, too. Yes. 1924, Calvin Coolidge. Keep cool with Coolidge. Coolidge had become president with the passing of Warren G. Harding the previous year. As a Republican candidate in 1924, Calvin Coolidge represented continued calm and stability. As the cool candidate, Coolidge and his fellow Republicans were able to engage in some wordplay, appealing to a public that still longed for peace and prosperity. See, when did we ever not wanted peace and prosperity? That just always makes me laugh. 1928, Herbert Hoover. A chicken in every pot and two cars in every garage. See, that seems a little too ambitious. I don't need two cars in my garage. Right. One car would be fine, Just especially fine. if times were tough. Uh, the economic and social flourish that characterized the 1920s allowed candidate Herbert Hoover to call on voters in rural and urban settings alike. Hoover used the economic boons of his predecessors, reminding voters about reduced hours, increased wages, and general social progress that come to fruition under the auspices of his fellow Republicans, all of which allowed for what seemed to be inexhaustible quantities of chickens, cars, and other consumer goods. <laughs> Why just, chickens? Just the top three. <laughs> uh, 1932, uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt's Happy Days Are Here Again. By using the song, Happy Days Are Here Again, from the musical Chasing Rainbows, the Roosevelt campaign sought to provide optimism to a nation entrenched in the Great Depression. The song and slogan offered hope, with Roosevelt serving as a much more proactive option than incumbent Herbert Hoover. Uh, 1936, Franklin D. Roosevelt again, a gallant leader. As he ran for a second term, President Roosevelt emphasized his successes during the previous years. After the introduction and implementation of his New Deal policies, Roosevelt presented himself as a brave overseer of social and economic recovery and reform efforts he would continue to undertake. 1952, Dwight D. Eisenhower, I like Ike. <laughs> Embracing Dwight D. Eisenhower's nickname, the slogan, I like Ike, similarly captured the esteem Americans felt for the World War II hero. Fun to say, which it is, short on syllables, and actively using rhyme and repetition, I like Ike, was an endorsement for a leader who would pave a way to victory in the unfolding Cold War. Now that's your favorite one, isn't it? I think it, it just it is funny. To yeah. me. I like Ike. Uh, 1956, Dwight D. Eisenhower. I still like Ike. <laughs> not wanting to reinvent the wheel, Dwight Eisenhower. Sure. He was all about not reinventing the wheel. <laughs> Dwight Eisenhower recycled his successful campaign slogan from four years earlier. Sentiment in the United States remained the same, with Americans rejecting Democratic calls for a change with candidate Adlai Stevenson. 1960, John F. Kennedy, A Time for Greatness. Designed to emphasize the hope represented by the young Massachusetts senator, a time for greatness brought forth the promise of strong Democratic leadership. Candidate John F. Kennedy and his running mate, Texas Senator Lyndon B. Johnson, ran on a platform of peace, domestic reform, and international experience. The slogan was vague. <laughs> 
as they all are, perhaps intentionally allowing voters to use their imaginations about all the candidates had to offer. Yeah, what is a time for greatness? What is greatness? Yeah. 1964, Lyndon B. Johnson, all the way with LBJ. Lyndon Johnson's catchy rhyming slogan encouraged voters to stick with the sitting president. After taking office, after the assassination of Kennedy in 63, Johnson continued the agenda initiated by his predecessor, but needed more time to fully bring their shared goals to fruition. The slogan also played on one used by JFK during his 1960 campaign all the way with JFK, reminding voters about the slain president's legacy. Hmm. Uh, 1968, Richard Nixon. This time, vote like your whole world depended on it. Richard Nixon, who had unsuccessfully run for president in 1960, evoked a bit of fear in the American public with Mm -hmm. his high-stakes message. The escalation of the conflict in Vietnam, social tension in the United States, and a general unease in the nation were at a tipping point, one that, according to Republicans, only Nixon could correct. Because every candidate's going to correct everything. That's right. So really fast, 1972, Richard Nixon, now more than ever. 1976, Jimmy Carter, not just peanuts. Oh, 1980, Ronald Reagan, let's make America great again. 1984, Ronald Reagan, it's morning again in America. George H. Walker Bush, 1988, kinder, gentler nation. 1992, Bill Clinton, for people, for a change. 1996, Bill Clinton, building a bridge to the 21st century. George W. Bush, 2000, compassionate conservatism. 2004, George W. Bush, a safer world and a more hopeful America. And we're out of time. Sorry, Barack Obama and Obama and Donald Trump. Go make some history, go vote, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening.